The Sparkfile podcast may contain profanity and other adult content. Please use your discretion. When I bump into something that inspires me, I dump it in my Sparkfile. To be something that I want to make or how I want to be. I pump it in my Sparkfile. I jump into my Sparkfile. Let's open up the Sparkfile. Welcome to the Sparkfile, where we believe that everyone is creative, but smart creative people don't go it alone. I'm Laura Camion. And I'm Susan Blackwell. And we are creativity coaches who help people fear less, create more, and bring their creative visions to life. If you're an OG member of the Sparkfile community, welcome back, Sparkler. If you're joining us for the first time, welcome, friend. Know that just by listening to this podcast, you are joining a warm and welcoming and wonderful clan of creatives. You also may be asking yourself, what exactly is a Sparkfile? A Sparkfile is a place where you consistently collect all of your inspirations and fascinations. If you're like us and you're making stuff all the time or you want to be making stuff all the time, you know if you're not careful... Your campfire of creativity can flicker out. But don't despair. We are collecting kindling in the form of fresh ideas, images, and inspiration that spark creativity and pique curiosity to light a fire under our collective asses to make things like this podcast. Or a path from creative goodness to creative greatness. Ooh, I like that. Every episode, we're going to reach into our spark piles and exchange some sparks. And from time to time, we're going to talk to some folks who spark us too. That means we have so many more sparks than we can possibly use in this lifetime. So if something lights you up, we encourage you to take that thing and make something out of it. Without further ado, let's open up the, the spark. spark. File. <laughs> you know, when you're talking sometimes and you're like, I need to be talking two times faster than I am. That's what I'm feeling right now. So, or everybody just go ahead and lean into listening at like twice the pace. If you can do that. You're twice just the like, pace. Yeah. Two X this. Two exit. Yeah. I was uh, reading something this morning written by my friend Mark Fisher. Mm. Of Mark Fisher Fitness about reading. He is a voracious reader and he reads, I think, something like he said, like about two books a week. But he was saying how he listens at 1.8 and it takes like a discipline to listen at that speed. But you can train yourself to listen faster. So he listens quickly. Does he read? Is he a speed reader? Does he read quickly? No, he said he reads slowly. He listens quickly. He reads slowly, is what he said. It is really interesting to me to just ponder the concept of listening slowly. No, listening more quickly. I know. Listen quicker. As if we have control of the speed with which we listen, but apparently we do. I think we do, and I think it's a focus issue. Mm -hmm. For myself, I, I would say, because I have at times attempted this oh. and it requires a higher level of focus personally. Absolutely. We talk about this, like I enjoy audiobooks, but what I've discovered is if I'm listening to them out walking, I kind of prefer fiction because I'm not 
trying to like take any notes or remember a thing and be like, oh, that's a concept I really want to incorporate into my life. So it's a little bit harder for me to, if it's like a self-help book or something I'm trying to learn, I need the tangible book. Well, he said something, which I completely, I also have this, you've heard me talk about this before, where he'll do both. He'll listen and read the same book. That is for learning times and for like spark writing times and things where I'm like, I'm really responsible for mirroring this back accurately. Yeah. 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 Fiction is, I love like, you know, like shoveling snow to fiction or like cleaning to fiction. Yes. I like walking to fiction. I really do. Speaking of walking, Mm -hmm. it is spring in New York. It is beautiful outside. Yes. And I I think I speak for both Cam's and myself when I say we have spring fever. We've got spring fever, for sure. We've got spring fever. Now, what happens in the city is that on like the first few warmest, most wonderful days, as you know, everyone goes outside. So for just a moment, it's both like joyful and oh my gosh, there's too many freaking people. Don't stand so close to me. Yeah. But right now we're on like last week, there were several really, really nice days. Today was extraordinary. But like, I was like, Wes, what's it like outside? Is it like, is it crazy? Is everybody out there? He's like, it's beautiful. And no, it's back to normal. Mm. So now it's like the best of the best because it's a beautiful day and it's not too crazy. I was trying to remember you were up at my house for a creativity salon on Easter Sunday. Why, yes, I was. Do you remember, were the trees still brown sticks? Was it still brown sticks? Yeah, I wasn't. It wasn't really green. Yeah. Okay. It has papawied. It is completely like chartreuse the valley is i love the papawi oh almost overnight it has exploded it is crazy and i don't know if i've ever mentioned this before but down the road from where i live there is a grove of trees that someone planted a long time ago that is now mature i made up a story that somebody planted it for somebody that they love i made up that story but all the trees are different shades of pink blossoms so you have pale pink apple blossoms and you have much much darker deeper reds but they're all shades of pink and rose cherry blossoms yep and it is the moment this is the moment when the pink orchard goes papawi wow it lasts for like a week and I'm like, I, I made up a story that somebody made that for somebody that they loved because it's so, I've never seen anything like it. I like that story. And just like a little, around a little house. Yes. So beautiful. It makes it magical. It is beautiful. And I've always had a little fantasy that I'm not brave enough to do of like knocking on their little door and just saying, would you mind if we spent some time in your pink orchard and that sounds like a print song. I'm going to spend some time in the pink orchard and take photos and stuff like that because it's it's just unbelievable. I've never seen anything like it. Never seen anything like it. So pretty. Wow. Anywho, we've got spring fever. We really do. We really do. We've got a spark for you. Laura, before we spark it up, any sparklets, Mm -hmm. anything to, to say? You know, this is a, this is half-baked, and probably uh, half of what I'm about to say may not even be accurate, but there is something I wanted to share. Several friends of mine who I frankly have not talked to in a long time, and that's not right, 
Um, but they're Blue Man people, and they started a podcast, ah. and it's called Ain't That a Pitch. Ah. Ain't That a Pitch. And what the, Wes shared it with me, and I was like, well, this is super fun. And it has, like, there are strains of it that I feel like it's a cousin. I feel like we're, like, distantly related, the spark bile and Ain't That a Pitch. There's five of them. It's Mike Brown and Bryce Flint Somerville, Jake Hart, Lizette Morris, and Raven Solomon. Now, I know Bryce and Mike. I think I've met Raven. I don't know Lizette. I don't think um, I don't think I've met Jake. But they're all Lizette like, and Jake are like we have had dinner together five hey, times. Bitch, we've we spent a lot of the time. world. <laughs> you don't remember we were in Paris together. So, so tell me about. Ain't that a pitch? I like the title. I do too. And so they each bring like ideas that to me are like sparks, but they could be anything like just, I thought of this, I thought of this humorous like idea and I don't know what to do with it. Or it could be like, I've been carrying around this idea for a screenplay for forever. And, and then they all kind of like jump in and talk about it like and writer's room style. Yeah. Sort of poke at it, Ugh. improve upon it, offer ideas. I mean, it's really, really, really fun. Yeah. I just wanted to shout it out. I just want to shout it out in case anyone wants to, to check it out. I will totally get in there and subscribe and listen. I love a good, that's another thing I like to listen to when I'm cleaning, when I'm walking, yes. et cetera, is just a rolling conversation that I, do, I love that. Yes. And a rolling conversation among really smart and really funny and really talented people. And, and these are just top-notch human beings and, and I enjoy it so much. The best. Plus, Bryce is a really great artist. So their, their posts always include like some artwork by him, hand-drawn stuff by him. You know, what's more fucking delightful than that? Ain't that a pitch? Ain't that a pitch? Nana can't remember. Have we talked about let's process this? Did we talk about that? God, I can't remember either. But you know what? Let's tell the people again. Maybe if we can't remember, maybe they can't either. If we did, then please hear this again. One of our great clients, the wonderful Chris Pappas, started a podcast called Let's Process This, now yes. available wherever you get your podcasts. Yes. And I fucking love this podcast. Yes. And I love the concept. Smart people, a rolling conversation. This is the concept. Chris and his guests look back six months. They look at the news six months ago and they're like, have we processed this? And they just talk about it. It's, it's so yes. true. I feel like we have talked about this, like the way it trips your mind with what has happened just a scant six months ago. Well, things are happening so yes. fucking fast yes, for yes, several yes. years there. And maybe they, they still are kind of, but just felt like somebody hit fast forward. Yeah on the news cycle a few years back and yeah. it was just nonstop. And so I love the idea of like, now, wait a minute, let's go back to this. Have we processed this? I'm pretty sure we have talked about it on this podcast because I think I'm about to say something that I said last time. That's okay. It'll really sink in this time. A sentiment so nice. I'm saying it twice. <laughs> it makes me, there's a really, really funny segment on the podcast where he asks each of his guests to bring in something from their corner of the algorithm. Yes, genius. It delights me 
Uh, we have talked about this. I'm losing my fucking mind. <laughs> have we? Ta- you know what? Well, I the thing is, I spend all day with you, every day, all day, and we've talked about it numerous times. So I just can't remember if we've set it on a recording because I had no how I've described this. I can picture myself describing this and recommending it to other people. And I just can't remember what's on mic and what's off. Yeah. So just please forgive me and enjoy. Let's process this. That algorithm idea is really smart. The whole thing's really smart, but you know, it's just easy to forget that other people aren't seeing what you're seeing every day. Exactly. It's really easy to forget that. My sister was like, my TikTok algorithm spits up all of this knitting content. Does yours? And I was like, no, girl, <laughs> no. And I'm sure like if I was a young Republican, oh my God. exactly, I'd be seeing some whole other different it's thing. It's exactly what they told us was going to happen, has happened and is happening every single day. And that is our existing ideas philosophies and belief systems just keep getting echoing back to us, echoing back to us. They just keep getting validated. And you're just like, yeah. you're so right. You're so right that everyone else is talking about how right you are. Look at this. You're right about this. You're right about this. And, and you don't ever get the counterpoint unless you actively seek it. So that's why you should listen to let's process this so that you can hear what's happening on their corner of the algorithm. That's right. You can hear what else. But Wes and I do that all the time. Wes will be like, I'm like, babe, what are you? Babe, I love you if you're listening. Um, But what are you looking at? Your phone, like your phone all day. And he's like, they're painting videos. Look at this. Oh, he's in his own little painting bubble. It's beautiful. Like his his feed is like 90% people painting or creating in some way. And I was like, well, that's joyful. I feel like I see painting videos and I want to forward them to Wes because I am a human algorithm who knows that he would like that. Oh, he would love it. You should. You totally should. Chris Pappas, just let us know when you want Laura, Cammie, and I to come be your panelists on Let's let's Process This. Because I have lots of things from my corner of the algorithm that I would like to share with your listeners. Oh, Oh my God, it really does make me think, what would I bring from my little corner of the world? You think on it. Mm-hmm. Think about I'm gonna it. I'm going to think on it. In the meantime, would you like a spark? I would love a spark. All what do right. you got cooking over there? Let's get into it. So this is a topic, Laura, that I have been thinking about for a long time. Mm-hmm. And the spark is the idea of taking our creative work from good to great. So what exactly do I mean when I say good to great? Mm -hmm. I'm talking about taking our creative work from good, decent, passable, maybe even strong, solid to something that is undeniable, transporting, cathartic, and maybe even transcendent. So we all know great when we see it, right? Yeah. A storyteller or a stand-up who is so funny that our bodies just relax because we know we are in great hands. Or a musician whose composition brings us to tears in like three minutes or less. Or a piece of choreography that makes us squeak with delight. Or a documentary that is deep and dark, but it's so well done 
that we can handle the deepness and the darkness mm -hmm. or something that we can't stop thinking about in a great way. Our mind just continually yeah. peeling back the layers of that artist's creative onion. I would say for me, like when I see a show and I can't wait to see it again, and my immediate thought upon leaving is like, I want to bring so-and-so to the show. I want to come back with so-and-so. That's what I'm you talking know, about. Yes. That is what I'm talking about. Yeah. So this concept of aiming, like being at good and aiming for great is complicated because I think it can really fuck with people's minds. So right at the outset, I want to be clear. When I talk about aiming for creative greatness, by greatness, I don't mean fame. I don't mean fame. And I don't mean aiming for perfection. Sorry, you're about to say what you mean, but I was going to jump in with what I think you mean. Go ahead. Like mastering your craft. Like being a, a, not perfect, but being, yeah, really knowing your craft. Yeah, yeah. I think there's a there's a lot of different dimensions to it. And before we dig into it, I want to I want to talk about this perfect piece, just in case anybody's brain is going there. Uh -huh. And I, when we talk about going from good to great, we're not talking about aiming for perfect. Perfect is an unattainable unhappy making target. Mm -hmm. And to illustrate this, a while back, I was listening to an episode of Kara Lowenthal's podcast, Unfuck Your Brain. Oh, yeah. And she shared a concept that really lit this up for me. And it's an idea that Laura and I have often quoted and misquoted. If you don't know Kara Lowenthal, she's a life coach who has a BA from Yale and a JD from Harvard Law. And her coaching is rooted in cognitive psychology-based techniques and feminist theory. And you can learn more about Kara and her work at unfuckyourbrain.com, which is perhaps one of the greatest URLs ever claimed. Love it. Isn't it great? So the concept that Kara shared that really struck me is this. A minus work out the door beats A plus work every single time. A minus work out the door beats A plus work every single time. Kara explains that when she started as a coach, she was coming off a decade in law school and clerking. And as we know, lawyers are trained to get everything precisely right, right down to the punctuation. So she thought she needed to make everything perfect before she put it out in the world. And that really held her back. For instance, she was aiming to start a podcast at that time, and because she'd never done a podcast before, and she didn't know how to do a podcast perfectly, and she didn't really know what perfect was when it came to podcasting, she ended up not launching her podcast for a year because she had perfectionism paralysis. Ah! But then she finally took the leap, and two years into her podcast, on the 100th episode, she shared this. You don't need to do A plus work or even A work. A minus work is what makes the world go round. Ugh. And by A minus work, she meant work that isn't perfect. According to Kara, A minus could be better, but you don't spend your time perfecting it. You know it's probably not organized as perfectly as it could be you realize three days after you record your podcast that you forgot to make one of your main points and you let it go. And here's why you let it go. If you could actually produce perfect A plus work, that would be one thing. 
If that was a true option that you could do A plus work and get it out the door, that would also be something. But you can't. A plus work is an illusion. It doesn't really exist. And if you just accept that the work is going to be A minus from the jump, you would have done it in one tenth of the time and skipped all the procrastinating and avoiding that can be tied to aiming for A plus work. So, in summary, A minus out the door is better than A plus work that never happens. A minus out the door is better than A plus work that never happens. And all of that was from the brilliant mind of Kara Lowenthal. Please check her out at (laughs) unfuckyourbrain.com. So all of that is, yes, yes. I just want to add to this because you know, I mean, we've talked about this concept enough. I think most people know, like we live by it. The spark file would not exist without this concept. Um, You know, there were just so many things that were like, well, we have a vision of, you know, some grand vision of this perfect, whatever the case may be, a perfect plan for the next year, a perfect curriculum, a perfect podcast, whatever. And none of it, none of it is perfect, but it's only in the world because we were able to let it go at, at B plus or A minus and highly competent people, truly your B plus or your A minus is as strong, if not stronger than, you know, 95% of the work out there. Yeah. Can I say one other thing about it? It's like an addendum. It's a little bit of a cousin to this idea. Yeah. It has been my experience over a long time of collaborative work, collaborating with you, Suze. Yes. But prior to that, you know, 20 some years in this collaborative environment in Blue Man Group. And one of the things that I I feel like this rule applies more than ever if you're in a collaborative relationship, because I know when I like, whether at Blue Man or even with you, if I'm the first person, like I'm going to draft this email blast, or I'm going to draft this web copy or this curriculum, and I'm going to pass it to you. And you are going to have thoughts and ideas that you want to incorporate. And then it's going to come back to me and so on and so forth until we both say, I think it's done. If I obsess about it being perfect when I hand it to you, I do two things. Number one, like it or not, I get very, very attached to it as it is because Uh I'm like, it is perfect. I have sculpted this perfectly. Mm -hmm. And then what that does to your partner is make it more challenging for them to add a note or chisel off a little piece because it's like, oh no, I'm very aware that my partner is saying, yes, my partner is very precious about this. And so I just can't even tell you if you're planning on collaborating with anyone in any way, the very best thing that you can do if you're, if you're presenting work, present B plus there's room there for someone else to, to add ideas and make it even better without you feeling like, Oh, but you've changed my, you've Mm -hmm. changed my masterpiece. Mm -hmm. And then vice versa. Then after they add on to it and then you add on to it again, Nobody is treating their work like this was the, you know, most supreme example of my work ever. And how could you, Mm. how could you change it? Does that make sense? It sure does. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. So yes, to be clear, 
we're not talking about aiming for A plus perfect work. In this spark, what we're interested in is addressing the gap between good and great as it relates to our creative work. So Mm -hmm. first, I'm just curious, uh, just there's these questions that I have in my mind. When should we aim for good? And when should we aim for great? Because in every case, it's not necessary to aim for great. That's right. And also, this is a purely subjective choice. But I think there are a few determining factors that I believe are relevant when you're asking yourself, what am I aiming for here? Am I aiming for good? Am I aiming for B, A minus A? Yeah. So here's a few factors that I think are relevant to me. The discipline, the content, the form, the intended audience, and the stakes are a few determining factors. So let's unpack these one by one. We're going to start with the discipline. When we are working in a creative discipline that is more complex and requires extensive study to master or extensive time to practice and craft, you are going to want to give those disciplines the attention and time and study that they require. Talent is going to take you so far, and then you're going to have to clock your hours to get you to great. So I'm talking about disciplines like opera, which combines singing, acting, orchestral music, foreign language skills, just to name a few. Opera is a highly complex and demanding discipline Mm -hmm. that requires simultaneous mastery of many skill sets. And it's not just opera. Jazz improvisation, the ability to think on your feet, to respond to other musicians in real time, to create new melodies and harmonies quickly and on the spot. Architecture, which is highly technical and artistic, Mm -hmm. and it requires a deep understanding of materials and engineering and design principles, as well as a strong sense of creativity and artistic vision. Same with fashion design, photography, filmmaking, which is highly collaborative and complex. It involves the coordination of many different elements, including writing, acting, cinematography, editing, sound design, writing, requires a deep understanding of language, narrative structure, storytelling, research, research, as well as a strong sense of creativity and originality. And mastering writing can take years of practice and involves a constant process of revision and refinement. Musical theater writing and composition, graphic design, ballet, like I could go on and on and on. Actually, let's use graphic design as an example. Graphic design is a highly technical and artistic discipline that involves the creation of visual content for a variety of mediums, including print and digital. To be great at graphic design, you have to have a strong understanding of design principles, typography, color theory, as well as technical proficiency with design software. Which isn't to say I can't be good or even very good at using Canva. And because I haven't devoted my life to being great at the discipline of graphic design, being good at Canva is good enough for me. It could be just fine. Absolutely. That's all you need. Yeah. What I'm talking about is if you want to be great at graphic design or any discipline, you're probably going to have to put in your hours to gain mastery 
of that discipline. A 100%. And so, so when you say like, these are the factors to consider, I guess the question around discipline would be like, is this the discipline that you feel passionate that you want to be great at? Or is this just a proficiency that you might be like, I'm pretty good at this. And that's, that's great. Cause that's all I need. I need to know how to update my website. I need yeah. to make, I need to make some social posts, but I don't need to be great. Great. Yeah. 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 Another factor in determining whether good is good enough or whether you want to aim for great is the content. Mm. I'm curious if you have this experience, Cams. Mm -hmm. I, I know I do. There is certain content, certain sparks for me where good is good enough. So for instance, I might be very sparked by Hilma Offklint. Let's use Hilma as an example. Yeah. I might be sparked by Hilma and I might want to do a good job at bringing her story to this podcast. And I'm going to do my best with that. And I'm going to get that A minus work out the door. Now, if the spark instead of Hilma is a story about a very formative experience that I had as a child, and I'll use the example of I grew up in a hoarding house. So to me, it's complex. It's a bit hot to the touch. It's a bit visceral. It's something that I want to treat with care and honor and present it with nuance so that it has impact and meaning in the world. And I'm going to aim to be great with that content. Yeah. And that's not to say that Hilma off Klimt isn't worthy of aiming for greatness. That is strong content. And there have been entire Guggenheim shows and operas focused on Hilma that really aimed for and I think achieved greatness. But for me, good was good enough for Hilma. And I'm using my premium octane fuel and aiming for great with what I would consider high value content for me. And only I can determine what's high value to me. But I will also say, I know a high value spark when I see it. And usually you'll hear me say, that's a hot spark. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Which is to me a spark that not only is worthy of aiming for great, but may have like the seed of greatness in it. Does that make sense? Well, yes, it does. And I think that oftentimes you'll say it's a hot spark, especially when the person who has shared it with us feels it. Like you can tell they feel it viscerally and passionately. And you can say that's a hot spark. Not for me, not for That's me right. to write, but that is a hot spark for you to write. Yes. And it, it like aligns with your being, your skill set, your, you know, your interests, and you should pursue that. Yeah. 100%. And I have the, yes, I do have those do you, sparks you as have, well. I feel like you and I have talked. Yeah, I have some I haven't done yet because I know I've talked a million times about being a child of a narcissist and I want to do a spark about it because I think it affects so many people. And I, it's one of those where like the barrier to entry for me is this, like I, if I'm going to do it, I want it to be great. You want it to be great. If, if it's going to be great, it's going to take a lot of time. And then I end up not tackling that as a spark. I would, hypo I would posit that you have tackled that spark not on the spark file, but you've tackled it with great care in your playwriting mm. and in your screenwriting. Well, 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 Susie B, you, and do, that, you do know me. That brings us yeah. to our next determining factor when it comes to aiming for great, and that is the form. 
mm-hmm. the form. So what do I mean by that? Laura and I have this chatty podcast that is purposefully designed not to aim for perfection. Mm-hmm. This podcast is by design a form <laughs> that welcomes embraces informality and imperfection. I'm just laughing because I I just had, I was just picturing some listener out there like, really? I I, I mean, because I thought it was so perfect. This is a, here's like a, this is like little side spark though. The amount of preparation that goes into this podcast is not insignificant. And the amount of post-production that goes into it is is not insignificant. That's correct. And so, it's it's worth mentioning that even with something like this that is not aiming for perfection, and it really isn't, we still are trying to bring quality. Like yes, yes. we want it to be quality, but we also want to do it with ease. That's right, and allow ourselves the freedom of mistakes and and frankly authenticity because we knew if we were going to make something, we would have to be our, be able to be ourselves. So it didn't feel like oh, it's time to record. It's time to put on that other personality we have. That's right. Okay, so back to form. So here we have this chatty podcast, not aim, not aiming for perfection. If I did discuss what I consider to be a high value spark on the podcast, I'm going to treat that high value spark differently if I decide I'm going to write it into a musical. Oh, wait, do you mean you wouldn't share it on this podcast or if you decided to? Nope. Talking about form, I would share it on this podcast. I may handle it differently depending on the form. Making a musical. Yes. That's right. Yes. 100%. So for instance, let's again use an example, that high value spark from my life growing up in a hoarding house. To me, again, it's nuanced. It's visceral. It matters to me that that story is told in a meaningful way that sheds light on the topic and ultimately lifts people up and is of service to them. So when I'm sharing that story on this podcast in this form, very good might be, very, very good might be good enough. But if I'm writing that same spark into the form of a piece of musical theater, I'm aiming for great. Uh huh. I'm aiming for great. The musical yeah. theater form is more complex with music and voices and multiple collaborators and a live audience potentially, and down the line recording and licensing and hopefully a life long after I'm gone, which is to say legacy. So depending on the form, I'm going to handle it differently, even though I may handle it for the podcast with great care. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. But there is a a more casualness to it. And what what you're capable of doing for emotional impact with that same topic in musical theater is so much greater. You know that you're capable of it and would push for greatness. Yes, yes. So another example of a spark where form was very important to me is something I've talked about on the podcast before. It's a piece that I wrote called The Golden Palace. So that featured my dad's story. And because of that, it felt very important to me. Yeah. And I wanted to honor all of that with a form and thoughtfulness and composition and collaborators and musicians who could bring my interior vision of that to life. Mm -hmm. So if you're aiming to take your work to great, think about the form that it wants to take. Think about the form that it wants to take. You know, it also strikes me as we have seen and talked to to many clients um, about 
as you're exploring an idea, it may take a certain form. Mm-hmm. As you wrap your arms around it, yep. as you begin to envision what it's capable of, what you're capable of, you may then decide to explore it in another form where you can take it to the next level. Um, and I think that's really exciting too. And it's an important step to allow yourself to explore it first, maybe. I mean, we do it naturally. You might explore it first in conversation. Yes. Um, sharing some stories over dinner, seeing like, is this interesting to other people? What yeah. piques their interest? And continuing to let it evolve until it becomes the greatest thing that it wants to be that you, yeah. or that you feel yeah. inspired to um, make it. Yeah. Another determining factor when it comes to uh, figuring out when good is good enough and when you want to aim for great is your intended audience. Mm. So for instance, if you're asked to speak at a local middle school's career day and you're asked to give a speech at the National Speakers Association <laughs> annual convention, <laughs> you may determine that good is good enough for one and for the other, you want to do what you need to do to aim for great. And that could be for reasons connected to personal pride, professional advancement, you name it. Like, I mean, am I crazy? I mean, I'm always, I'm always aiming for B plus. And then there are times when I'm like, a game, baby. You know, this is the A game. Uh, and 100%. sometimes it's tied to audience. 100%. Yeah, yeah. it can be. And, and it doesn't even have to be a high profile event. It might be your favorite sibling's wedding and you are giving the toast yeah. and yes. you feel incredibly attached to delivering like your A game to for yes. for the benefit of this person you love and for the audience of like your whole family and friends. That's right. 100%. And yeah. making a memory. I remember we have a, a wonderful client and friend, John Ellison Conley, who was at a family function and John can write rhyming raps. Oh, like, gosh. And he so, <laughs> this so thing good. where it was like, you know, he blew it out of the water at yeah. like a family function. Yes. And yeah, yeah. So it audience doesn't have to mean fancy. Right. It doesn't have to mean that. It just means that it's for some reason. Meaningful. Meaningful to you. That's right. Um, another example, I like to paint. I've talked about it on the podcast before. I like to paint just for me. Yes. And yeah. people say, you should post these on social or you should sell these on Etsy. And I don't want to. My intended audience is me, yes. my husband, and anyone who visits my house. Yes. And, and as such, I haven't really, I think it might be fun, but I haven't felt deeply inclined to go back, hone my skills, to study painting mm -hmm. with a, you know, with a teacher. Though, though that might be fun, I don't mm -hmm. know that I'll ever aim for great since the intended audience is me, yes, for me to look out when I go to the bathroom, I have a new painting that I did hanging over my toilet right now. I'm good with good. Yes. And sometimes, sometimes aiming for great, actually, most of the time that I can think of, it come, it does come with pressure. It does come with the requirement of 10,000 hours and it, and it feels different. It can be incredible and rewarding when you achieve it, but it's a lot of work to get there. So sometimes the biggest gift you can give yourself is like, I will enjoy my painting more if I'm just aiming for good. Yeah. And that in and of itself is great. Yeah. And even the pleasure of doing it 
and not there's nothing neurotic about it there's yeah yeah Yeah. not to say that in aiming for great that you have to be neurotic because i don't think you do um just another example of this this is going to be a really name droppy anecdote so i apologize in advance Mm, sorry (laughs) so i remember seeing hamilton off broadway at the public and it was fan fucking tastic yeah and then it was headed for broadway and uh, this is so name dropping, but I recall that Lynn Manuel was over at my apartment and he was like, I know I need to get into, I need to get it into shape before Broadway. I got to do that. Like he was talking about. Yeah. What he needed to do to make it great. Yeah. But he hadn't done it yet. And at that point, I think we knew by then that Jonathan Groff was going to play the king. And because of what Lynn had shared with me, I was like, Hey Groff, how's Hamilton shaping up? Have you guys made big changes? And I remember Groff saying, it's more like Hamilton lost 20 pounds and got a tan. <laughs> and I knew what he meant in subtle ways. Yeah. Lynn and Tommy Kale and that team had worked to take it from very, very good yes. to great because they knew that once it opened on Broadway in front of that essentially global audience, yes, that's largely how the world would come to know it. So the intended audience and the stakes motivated their aim towards great. Absolutely. And can we talk about that for a minute? Because I think that there can be a temptation. You know, they had, like you said, a very, 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 very good run off Broadway. They sure did. I would say a pretty extraordinary run off Broadway. Word of mouth was extraordinary. Reviews were extraordinary. So some people might be like, it's great. It's great. Uh, It's good. I don't need to. But it's that thing that you're talking about in this spark that that person, Lynn, Tommy Kale, everybody, you know, people involved that I'm sure Jeffrey Seller, everyone who, who watched it, who were like, okay, and now how do we next level it? And the next level? Yeah, it might be shaving off uh, making some, some, you know, highly technical cuts. It might yep. be, uh, the pacing. It might be things that, uh, to a layman might be like, I didn't, I, I didn't realize you made any changes in that scene. I didn't even notice the changes. That's right. But when you're seeking greatness, yes, like you don't skimp on doing that work. Listen to the voice of Laura Camion. <laughs> I think a lot of people can be seduced by positive feedback mm-hmm. and they can they can mm-hmm. fall into this trap of thinking, well, I've gotten so much positive feedback that I don't want to do anything that messes mm-hmm. with that. So it's I great think as I'm it is. done mm-hmm. and not to torment <laughs> you, dear listener, but there's you look at Hamilton's a great example. They Mm -hmm. were like, it's really, really good. And they knew that it could be better. And I remember, I can't remember if it was talking to Lynn or talking to Tommy, but one of them was like, it's not about taking time off, which is a real go-to. Yeah. You need to get a half an hour. That's a real go-to in the theater, especially. They were like, it's not about that. Mm -hmm. Time will probably, will probably shed time, but it isn't about that. It's about these very strategic edits and ordering and nuancing that takes it to 
great. It's like sharpening everything. 20 pounds in a tan. Yes. I have a friend named Jane who's had um, quite a vibrant television career herself. And she talks about this dynamic all the time. She's like, some directors, you have, as the actor, you have to interpret what they mean. Similar to that note of like, cut 30 minutes off. She'll say, like, a director might say, I need you to do the scene faster, just faster. Yeah. Yeah. And she's like, okay, if you, a smart actor takes that note and, and questions, what are they really talking about? Translates it. Yeah. I don't think it's speed. I think it's intention. I think it's, uh, you know, clarity, whatever the case may be. And she's like, I have seen people turn right around and do a scene slower, but with more intensity and more clarity. And the director is like, that's it. That's perfect. Right. Even though it runs counter to what the director said. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Because speed, it's not, it's not typically just the, the speed of it yeah. or the, the time. I mean, yeah. It's an interesting thing. And you you learn the specificity of those things by doing the time, by putting the work in, by understanding, like, you understand what things are code for. Yeah. 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 Time. It takes time. Um, so another motivator to consider when you want to take your creative work from good to great, as I just mentioned with Hamilton, stakes. Yes. In my experience, the higher the stakes, the more motivated I am to move my work towards great. Mm -hmm. Now, this can be a tricky juncture because high stakes can also throw a person, I'll use myself as an example, <laughs> into the red zone, into fear, and sometimes into shutting down. Mm -hmm. But if you can hang in and keep your nervous system de-excited and remain functional and creative and flowing, mm -hmm. then increased stakes can be a great motivator to move towards great. Now, maybe you know that you want to take your work from good to great, but you're not sure mm -hmm. how to do so. You're not sure what approach to take. So here are some ideas. Mm -hmm. These are actually distilled from a book. It is a book, a business book, that is called Good to Great by Jim Collins. Good to Great is this business book that was really hot when I worked in corporate for 20 million years. But I think that some of it actually applies to creatives as well. And if you're not familiar with this book, this book identified 11 companies that made the transition from being average to being truly great over a 15-year period. And then the book analyzed what these companies did differently from their peers. And I've adapted these concepts because I really do believe they apply to creativity. Um, and P.S., if you were ever with me in any of those 8 a.m. weekly staff meetings when we were talking about this book, this application, this translation to creativity is what I was thinking about to keep myself awake and sane. So <laughs> there you go. Um, and thanks to my past corporate life for giving me this reference. So <laughs> to move your creative project towards great, you'll want to be or have a creative leader or a discussion partner who possesses a blend of humility and creative will, someone who is focused on the success of the project or the team rather than their own personal success. So this might be you. Mm -hmm. This might be you, or it might be a director or a dramaturg or a coach or a discussion partner, but it is somebody who has that blend 
of personal humility, but strong creative will, and who is focused on the success of the project, the team, or the piece rather than their own personal success. Okay? Yep. Yep. Ingredient number one. Okay. Check. If there is more than one person on this project, this creative endeavor, you want to aim to get the right people on the creative bus in the right seats, which is to say a great creative team should be made up of the right people with the necessary skills and passion for the project in the right roles. And your focus should be on engaging the best people that you can for the project and then figuring out how to leverage their skills and strengths yes. to achieve success. Yes. And Suze, if I may share just a tiny word of advice from someone who's, you know, done a, a lot of things with a lot of people. Yeah. If you sense that like this person that you really, really want on the project isn't 100% passionate about it. Mm. Maybe they feel like, oh, because of your friendship, they should do it or because mm. they love you and don't do it. Mm. Don't do it. Find the people who are 100% passionate about this project and together take it all the way. Mm. But I just think... Sounds like you're speaking from experience or a cameo. Well, I mean, I think you could would, could probably name a few times too where it's like, I really wanted that person. Or sometimes, Suze, uh, somebody really wanted me and I wanted yes. to be the person that they needed. I wanted yeah. to, to feel as passionate about that. And I, so I would say I probably more often have been that person who's like, I shouldn't have said yes to this because yeah. I don't feel this in my DNA that like, this is the project I must be doing. And then I got better at determining that and saying no, because you disappoint someone on the front end, but you don't disappoint them all along the way. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a great point. Another great point, and this is probably the most important takeaway. Okay. So I'm if ready. you've just been casually listening as you like as me. you walk jog, then <laughs> it's time to tune in, Laura Camion. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm I'm ready now. <laughs> so this is summed up in what is known as the Stockdale paradox. And if that sounds familiar to you, it's because I shared the Stockdale paradox on an episode of this podcast on the topic of resilience. Per the Stockdale paradox, named after Admiral Jim Stockdale, who was a prisoner of war in Vietnam for seven years, you should be willing to confront the brutal facts of your current reality while still maintaining an unwavering belief in your ability to succeed. Ooh. I'm going to say it again. You should be willing to confront the brutal facts of your current reality while still maintaining an unwavering belief in your ability to succeed. Do you mean, Suze, that so you don't need to put like a Pollyanna spin on the fact that, you know, you need a you need a full time job and you've got like the, there isn't money in the bank to do this. This is the like the reality of my situation is this. And yet. I still believe I can be great or, or I need singing lessons in order to do this. All of the above. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. So like, yes, my voice isn't yeah. as strong as it needs to be <laughs> referring to myself in order for me to do this musical that mm -hmm. I want to be in. So I need to confront the 
the brutal truth about that uh-huh. and still maintain that unwavering belief in my ability to succeed. You should be honest with yourself about the weaknesses of your ideas, your project, your structure, etc., and be willing to face and address any issues that may arise and also maintain this unwavering faith. You know, Suze, that, I mean, it kind of reminds me of that, like, kill your babies or kill your darlings in in writing. Like, I think about those times when some people can identify like a weakness and be like, this part might be overwritten and sort of like, but that could be okay. And maybe no one will know. We could brush that under the rug. That is the moment where you say, no, no, no. no. Yeah. It is overwritten. Yes, that's right. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to say this one more time a different way. This requires a willingness to receive and act on constructive feedback Mm -hmm. And a focus on continuous improvement, mm-hmm. all while maintaining unwavering faith mm-hmm. in yourself, in the project, etc. And I know, as I say these words, this is not easy. It is not. There are times this week when I have been like, my faith has wavered. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Like you have to face the challenges that are in front of you, and you must continue to believe in your ability to do this project and the project itself. And it's a tricky paradox, but it's a strong enough concept that it got Admiral Jim Stockdale through seven years in a brutal situation as a prisoner of war in Vietnam. And so if it's good enough for him, it's um it's really I feel like it's really yeah. something to hold on to. Agreed. Agreed because the pain that we're talking about of you know critical feedback this is manageable pain. It is not in fact the pain that he he experienced. Um we can survive it. Yeah. And and when you say the taking of receiving and contemplating constructive feedback it does not mean take everyone's feedback and try to change everything that anyone mentioned. The ability to take that feedback, hear it, and determine the next steps that are right for this project. Sometimes you get constructive feedback and what you realize is, oh no, that's not the show. That's not the show that I'm trying to write. And so if that's not the show that you're trying to write, what are you trying to write and how can it be more clear? It's all information. Yeah. Yeah. Lastly, to move towards great, you must maintain a commitment to building momentum over time. All of this Mm. takes time. But listen, regarding time, we've said this before, we'll say it again. Whether you aim towards great or not, time will still advance. God willing, you'll still be another year older. And depending on the course you've committed to, your work will either be good, decent, passable, maybe even strong, solid, or maybe, depending on how you set your sights, your work will advance towards something that is undeniable, transporting, cathartic, transcendent, not perfect but great. And that is my spark or in. Susie B. I love it. I love it. It's not I think it's easy. It's all important information. It's not easy. 
it's not easy, but none of this is. So if you're going to do it, choose which things you, you want to be great at. That's right. Sometimes good is so good. Very good is very good. And then there are times when it's like it is, depending on how you want to use your time on the planet, I think there are times when it is worthwhile to, if all of those pieces are there mm -hmm. or some of those pieces are there, to go for it, mm -hmm. to go for great. Go for great. To go for great. Yeah. What a great spark, Suze. Thank you so much. Good to great. Good to great. Who knew that old, oh, God, those early morning staff meetings <laughs> where I was oh, just like, how can I translate this so I, it makes it worth my while and I don't lose my mind? Look at you now, how many years later? Sharing that out of my spark. spark <laughs> Thank you. I'm so happy oh you did. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Friends, that's it. This episode of the Spark File was made on the lands of the Lenape people. And as always, we hope it put another bunch of sparks in your file. Hey, listen, if there's a spark you'd like us to explore, or if you'd like to learn more about how to coach with us to bring your creative ideas to life, you can email us at thesparkfile at gmail.com or submit it through our website, thesparkfile.com. We will even happily take your feedback. <laughs> oh, but you know the price of admission. First, you have to share a creative risk that you've taken recently. You can follow us on social at The Spark File and be sure to subscribe, rate, and five-star review this podcast. It really, really helps other listeners to find us. And if you like this podcast, we hope you'll share it with people that you love. And if you didn't like it, rip off those headphones and go run outside in the spring weather. That might bring you some joy. Oh, that sounds delightful. That's what we're about to do either way. Right? Listen, if something lights you up and gets your creative sparks flying, we are writing you a forever permission slip to make that thing that's been knocking at your door. It's your turn to take that spark and fan it into a flame. You know, you got to take it and make, make it. it bye friends bye friends go get great go get great go get great when i bump into something that inspires me i dump it in my spark files could be something that i want to make or how i want to be i pump it in my spark files I jump into my spark fire. Let's open up the spark fire.